In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for today is the Gospel, which I've already read. You may be seated. Before I do tackle the Gospel reading, a brief meditation on Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. As you may have heard, there was an election this last week. And whether you are pleased, disappointed, confused, concerned, whatever your reaction might be to the recent events in our nation, I want you to recall this psalm verse that I have read. That our trust ought not be in princes, whether you are pleased or distraught, because in them there is no salvation. Your salvation, dear friends in Christ, is found in the Lord God, the God of Jacob, who made heaven and earth, and in whom is salvation for us all. Look to him, for he is your Savior. And now our text. One of the things Christians are shocked about often is about how much fighting there is in the church. It is sad to see a congregation, especially a congregation that is divided. It's hard to recover from those kinds of things, as many of you who are sitting in these pews today well know from our own congregation's history. It's often said, we're brothers, we shouldn't be fighting. But let's think about that statement from about a 30,000 feet viewpoint. How many of you have siblings, or you yourself have more than one child? Now, have you ever fought with your brother or sister? Do your children fight among themselves? Of course they do. Of course they do. It is the reality of life, this side of the fall into sin, that brothers fight. The real difference between Christian brothers and brothers of the world is not in whether or not they fight. Take, for instance, the immediate context of today's gospel reading from Matthew chapter 18. In the six verses leading up to our text, Jesus lays out a process by which we are to restore an errant brother in the faith. If your Christian brother sins against you, you have the responsibility to go to him in order to bring him back. If he refuses, then you are to bring witnesses to help resolve the matter. If he still refuses, you are to take the matter then to the church. And if the church cannot convince him to repent, then you are to treat him as a tax collector or a Gentile. In other words, he is to be excommunicated. This means that he is to be excluded from the rights and privileges that belong to a church member, including, but not limited to, 
serving as a sponsor for baptisms, receiving the Lord's Supper, and burial even in the church cemetery if he continues in his unrepentance until death. Now that seems awfully mean to our all-too-accepting society today, but this is what Jesus says. Jesus wants to show us how serious sin really is, especially when we refuse to repent of it. It is deadly. But Jesus also wants to show us that we are to make every effort at restoration, like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. But sometimes a heart becomes so hardened in its unrepentance that it refuses to listen to the word of God. And in that case, we cannot be nicer than Jesus. If we do, we become like the father who fails to discipline his child. We have a whole world full of children who were not disciplined, and it shows. In the church, we must follow the word of Christ. Jesus is serious about restoring Christian brothers who are at odds with one another. Enter St. Peter at the beginning of our reading for today. He's just heard all of this from Jesus, and he says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Something to consider about this question is who was there when Peter asked how many times he should forgive? Now, of course, the twelve heard this question, which included brothers James and John. But even more poignantly, perhaps, is that Peter's own brother, Andrew, was also there. You can imagine what was going through Peter's and Andrew's minds at the time. Was it perhaps a long laundry list of sins remembered from growing up together? from working together in the family business? How many of those conflicts came to blows? You almost get the impression that Peter was hoping that there was a cutoff point at some time for forgiveness. That if Andrew crossed the line, the line that he was hoping that Jesus would draw in the sand, that Peter was no longer obligated to forgive his brother. In asking As many as seven times, Peter no doubt thought that he was being rather generous. Jesus answers Peter's question with a parable. As with many of the parables of Jesus, who is the king? Of course, it is God himself. In short, one man owes a king an astronomical debt. A debt that would be impossible to pay off in many lifetimes. In fact, if we do the math, it would take this servant 200,000 years worth of work to pay off his uh, uh, his 10,000 talent uh, debt. That's kind of a long time. The man begs the king, saying he'll pay it off. But the king has pity on this man. He doesn't offer him a payment plan, but instead he completely wipes out the debt. This is a picture of the debt of sin that we have before God. Jesus' point to Peter 
is that God has forgiven you all of your sins. But then that man, freshly forgiven of his debt, goes and hits up a fellow servant who owed him some pocket change. Can you imagine? Suddenly, you are effectively 200,000 years worth of work richer, and you have the audacity to go and ask a guy to pay you what he owes you. To do the math, the, man, the second servant owes the first 100 denarii. That's just 100 days of work. Now, granted, that's no small potatoes. It would be hard for any of us to simply fork over about a third of what we make in a year. But the point here is clear. 100 days is nothing compared to 200,000 years. The second picture of 100 days worth of debt is the picture of the debt of sin that we have against one another. Yes, we do have a debt of sin against each other. And yes, it is serious. So what is the point that Jesus is making here? Recall the question that Peter asked our Lord. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus answered him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 7 there. Greek math is a little harder than our math. Dear friends in Christ, our Lord is not actually wanting you to go to your calculators or to your spreadsheets to figure and tally the number of times that you have to forgive someone. Clearly, Peter wanted to see if there was a line to be crossed. If his brother sinned against him seven times, he'd forgive him. But as soon as that eighth sin happened, he was done. There was no more forgiveness of sins to be offered. This is sort of the same mentality that produces the proverb, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. People loved by God. Jesus shows the difference in the debt of sin between us, one another, and between him and us. To show us exactly how it is that we ought to forgive. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, puts it like this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Dearly beloved, we have been set free from an astronomical weight of sin. But it's even more than that. Consider the king who forgave the great debt. When he did, he took that debt onto himself. It's sort of like this. If I borrow five bucks from you to eat at McDonald's, but then you decide that you know what, you're going to forgive me that five bucks, then you have bought my lunch. You have paid my debt. You took that cost to yourself. In forgiving your debt, God has taken your debt into himself. This he did in the person of his son, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his crucifixion, and his death, 
Jesus has paid your debt of sin. St. Paul writes, And you, who are dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. One of our great Lenten hymns, it has 18 stanzas, by the way, for you keeping track at home, puts it like this. I'm not going to read all 18 stanzas. What punishment so strange is suffered yonder? The shepherd dies for sheep that love to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him who would not know him. The sinless son of God must die in sadness. The sinful child of man may live in gladness. Man forfeited his life and is acquitted. God is committed. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Jesus has set us free from the debt of sin that we might carry that forgiveness to others who so desperately need it. And after this most recent election cycle, by golly, there's a lot of folks who need it. And this is the sign and seal that we have been forgiven, that we are able to set, we are able to forgive those who have sinned against us, that we are able to set aside those debts for the sake of Jesus. We live in a world where we all tend to keep score of each other's wrongs, but here Jesus wants to break us out of this cycle. You have all seen and known relationships where there's almost an invisible ledger of a long list of past wrongs. And we all have seen how poisonous those relationships really are. But in forgiving us by shedding his blood for us, Jesus wipes out our long list of sins so that we may, may forgive others. As our psalmist put it in our intro for today, if you, O Lord, should keep a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. The inability to forgive is in essence, a rejection of the forgiveness that God has given to us. But from our Lord's words, we see that the forgiveness that flows from his wounds and his hands comes to us. He was crucified in order to pay our debt. And as his people, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, our love for those who have sinned against us also flows from those same wounds. And so the real difference, then, between Christian brothers who fight and sin against each other and brothers of the world who fight and sin against each other is not in how much they fight, 
but it is in the fact that their sins are forgiven before God, that they might forgive each other their sins. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.